NASCAR season is here, and everyone on the Toyota racing team is doing their part to perform at the highest level. From driver Ty Gibbs to amateur musician Russell Viper, who's working on the perfect pre-race pump-up track for the team. Start those Camrys up! Yeah! To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. This NASCAR season, every member of the Toyota racing team is doing their part to take the trophy home. Like sixth grader Melissa Kowalski, who changes true to true X on every true false quiz she takes. All my teachers are Martin Truex Jr. fans now. Keep up the great work, Melissa. To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. The Motor Racing Network presents NASCAR Live. Here they come up the back straightaway for the final time. Matt Kenseth leads. Biffle is second. Junior is third. Everybody single file the three. Top three cars, nose to tail. Kenseth, Biffle, Earnhardt Jr. Earnhardt Jr. continues to shove Biffle. Here they come off turn four for the final time. It'll be settled among these three drivers coming back to the line. Kenseth, now Jr. Dale Earnhardt Jr. appeals to the outside. Can't make it happen. Matt Kenseth is going to win the Daytona 500. The first one was in a rain situation. This one, you actually just wore them out, took them to the woodshed at the end. What does that mean to you? Uh, it feels good. We had a really fast car, and um, we've had fast cars down here in the past, and I figured out a way to mess it up, so I was uh, uh, thankful everything worked out in them restarts. So we were kind of planning on some green-white checkers there, and uh, um, I'm glad it all worked out. NASCAR Live is brought to you by Lou Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of NASCAR. It works fast, and you won't stink. And by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. From the MRN studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Mike Bagley. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Live here on the Motor Racing Network. Mike Bagley and the entire MRN crew here with you as we close in on NASCAR Hall of Fame induction weekend. We're going to chat a lot about that on the show today. We're also going to chat about Kevin Harvick making the announcement that he's going to retire at the end of the 2023 season. We'll hear from Kevin coming up on the show. We'll chat with 2023 NASCAR Hall of Famer Matt Kenseth. Matt will stop by. We're going to flash back to the 1988 Daytona 500. We'll also look back on the storied careers for each of the members of the 2023 NASCAR Hall of Fame class and a whole lot more. But first, Kyle Ricky is here with a check of the latest headlines. Kyle, what do you have for us? Mike, a big name will be stepping away after the completion of the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series season. Kevin Harvick announced that this year will be his last as he makes one final attempt at winning a second championship. This upcoming year will also be Harvick's 23rd at the sport's highest level. Kyle Larson will have a busy May in 2024. The former Cup Series champion will enter the Indianapolis 500 for McLaren Racing in a car co-owned by Rick Hendrick and sponsored by HendrickCars.com. Announcing plans 16 months in advance allows Larson plenty of time to prepare for 1,100 miles of racing, competing in both the Indy 500 and NASCAR's Coca-Cola 600 on the same day. No driver has attempted the double since Kurt Busch did it in 2014. Both teams field Chevrolets in their respective series. 
Travis Pastrana is making a brief return to NASCAR racing. He'll attempt to qualify the number 67 Toyota for 2311 racing in the upcoming Daytona 500. Black Rifle Coffee will sponsor the car. The X Games gold medalist most recent ride in NASCAR was in 2020 when he drove in two truck series events. This year's Bush Clash at the LA Coliseum will have another big-time artist performing at the season opening exhibition event. Multi-platinum selling, Grammy and Golden Globe nominee rapper Wiz Khalifa will take to the stage at the mid-race break of the main event. And Daytona International Speedway announced this week that the Great American Race has sold out for an eighth consecutive year. Thank you, Kyle. Coming up, Kevin Harvick will join us. He'll discuss why 2023 will be his last as a full-time NASCAR Cup Series driver. And later, Matt Kenseth will join us ahead of his NASCAR Hall of Fame induction. Buying a house can feel like you're going 200 miles per hour in bumper-to-bumper traffic with a dirty windshield and the sun in your eyes. Ruoff Mortgage has the technology, expert staff, and resources to simplify the process while speeding up the time it takes to get clear to close. So while getting a loan can seem intimidating, Ruoff Mortgage will have you opening the door to your new home fast and stress-free. Visit Ruoff.com to learn more. That's Ruoff.com. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. NASCAR Production Day is taking place in Uptown Charlotte today. Folks getting ready for the 2023 season. Had a chance to visit with Kevin Harvick, who announced his retirement for the NASCAR Cup Series last week. Glued to the bottom of the racetrack. Newman, three car length back. He washes up on exit. Harvick gets away by four. For the final time up the back straightaway, they're racing for the win and they're racing for the championship. Kevin Harvick leads the way. Ryan Newman has used it all up. It's Harvick looking for the checkered flag and the title. Kevin Harvick has a five-car length lead. He's off turn four, headed to the line. He sees the checkered flag waving. He's the winner of the Ford EcoBoost 400, and he is your 2014 NASCAR Sprint Cup Series champ. Here we are, my friend. Here we are. I've known you from day one. Yep. And I know you all the way to the end. I've been doing a lot of reflecting about you and, and, and your career. I remember you walking down pit road at Mesa Marin, driving for Wayne and Connie Spears. You went to drive for Jim Herrick. You ended up starting KHI. Have you done a lot of reflecting about your career, what you've done in this sport? I've done I've done a lot uh, over, over the winter just because of the fact that you know, I think for, for me, I'm always so guarded and I'm always so careful about not wanting to sound arrogant or cocky about the things that we've been able to accomplish because I fear that it will, um, well, you know, I fear that, that it will jinx me or something and, and, and you not be able to ever win another race because of the fact that you want to be able to um, represent yourself correctly and and so i'm always very appreciative of of the things that we've been able to accomplish and i'm always uh proud of the things that we've been able to accomplish but i never want to talk about it and so i think as as we look at this year and and you really kind of just let your guard down and you realize okay here's the deal we're going to go out and we're going to race and we're going to do everything we can to be competitive but you're you're really reliving a story and trying to tell a story to race fans and people who hadn't been here and and whether that's through a paint scheme or going to a track or 
a special helmet or talking about special moments or doing a special interview. It's just part of it. And that's really the reason that we did things the way that we're going to do in the, in the way that we laid out the plan. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I have. And it's really one of the very first times that I'll ever admit that because going back and, and looking at those Mesa Marin days when you had to leave your late model at the racetrack because you couldn't afford to buy a trailer and you had to wait till Monday to go pick it up. And, and you know, the days when Larry and Marion Collins would leave a set of tires so that you could race that particular weekend or going to the truck series and the town uh, business guys within the town helping you buy tires and entry fees or whatever it is all led to 20 some years of of being successful in in a very uh, challenging sport and taking over for Dale and and being able to be successful in that particular moment and be a part of keeping RCR alive and keeping them on the racetrack and continue to be successful and making a change and becoming you know a dad and 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 being able to do all those things and and be successful all the way along is something that I'm really proud of. For those of us that know you and that have followed your career, we know you're coming to the end, which begs the question, what's next? The natural progression from our side of the fence would be to television. Is that an option for you? I think right right now we've put so much time into trying to do this right during the last year that we have to we have to start deciding. We've made a lot of decisions, you know, as far as businesses and khi management and keelan's driving and and his what he's going to do um the last year you know there's the I'm, i'm obviously interested in in the in the tv side i'm very interested in the in being a part of a team in some way shape or form but i gotta make sure that i don't retire to get busier and how does all this fit in with with everything that i'm doing to to go forward and make sure that I can accomplish what I want to accomplish with my kids and my wife at home to be able to be more flexible and get out of that that competitive state of mind to be able to uh, not have to think about something 24-7. Because this is a 24-7 lifestyle. Uh, when you drive the car, it's 24-7. Whether you want to think it or not, you better, you better, you better be a part of thinking about it 24-7. Because in some way, shape, or form, it's going to involve going on a vacation probably with somebody from your team or there's going to be something that happens so this is a 365 day a year job if you want to do it good and if you don't want to if you don't want to be the if you want to be the best at it it's 24 7 so getting out of that mindset and, and just trying to find that new balance because i always talk to our young guys about that circle of life and trying to make sure that that circle of life is balanced well mine's going to become much different balance. The wheel's going to bounce off the ground. It's going to be un- so unbalanced for a while. And I got to make sure that, that, you know, my family and I can, can balance this with the businesses and, and time um, that we have and need and, and the things that I need to make sure that are going how we want them to go as a family before I jump right into TV or something else without understanding what that mix of time is. Final question. Last year, you were very outspoken and extremely candid about the new car, the parts, the pieces. You were, you made your thoughts public mm. and you made them known and you didn't mince words. Do you feel that message has been received? 
And are you satisfied with what you've received back from the sanctioning body as far as feedback and any conversations you've had because of those comments? Best step outside of the box I've ever taken. Really? And How so? One, one of the best because it, it really, I think my relationship with NASCAR is as good as it's ever been. Um, just because of a lot of the conversations and things that, that happened through this time period um, and just them understanding, hey, where I'm coming from, me understanding the resources and things that they have and where they're coming from. It's really just simple communication on, on how we could have got to somewhere a lot faster than what we did to have to react to something so simple, whether it was with fires or tires or rules or safety or people getting hurt. There were a lot of frustrations and it really started to come to a head when, when Kurt got hurt. And, and for me, really started to open my eyes and we got a problem. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a problem that, that I started to reach out and, and, and ask questions at, on that particular weekend. And finally, it got to a point where it affected our team and our car at Darlington, and I freaking lost it. And it might have not been the best way to handle it, but it got stuff done. And it really, from a number of different ways, allowed me to start being more in the middle of stuff that I hadn't been in the middle of. We'd all kind of let our guard down as to the little things that we needed to be doing, and, and we were sold a bunch of bunch of uh, stuff on the on the new car that everybody didn't really understand and didn't really know. And you don't know until you start hitting stuff and you start having real life things start to happen. So I, I love the fact that, that I have a better relationship with the drivers. I love the fact that that moment led to as good a relationship as I've ever had with NASCAR. Uh, the Drivers Advisory uh, Council group has, has really um, found its footing to be able to uh, communicate with NASCAR and the drivers. And, and we have... We have our feet on the ground, and, and, and everybody's pulling the rope in a, in a better direction. And so if we can continue that, we can't let our guard down. We have to continue that. And, and so, yeah, I, I've enjoyed that. I didn't like the moment that led to it. I don't like some of the moments that led to it, but here we are. And the part that I just that I don't like about everything that happened is Kurt Busch isn't sitting here telling you the same story about his career. That's the part that that's the only piece of the puzzle that I'm frustrated with that we still have have left because he deserves to do the same thing that I'm sitting here doing. And I don't want that to happen again. So we're going to work hard as a group um, and try to try to make things right. Coming up, 2023 NASCAR Hall of Famer Matt Kenseth joins us ahead of his momentous occasion. And later, we'll remember the 1988 Daytona 500. Sir, are you aware you were going 40 miles an hour? This is a residential area. Sure, but I'm on my lawnmower. Wait, am I getting a ticket? No, I've just never seen anyone top 9 miles an hour on one of those bad boys. And mow their entire lawn in 30 seconds? What got into you? Well, it did fuel up at Sunoco this morning. At Sunoco, we know how to fuel peak performance. We've been doing it for American Racing for over 50 years. Fuel your best. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. On Friday evening in Uptown Charlotte, Matt Kenseth will officially be inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Our Jason Toy sat down with Matt as he prepares for one of the biggest nights of his life. Matt, congratulations on a, on a great career. We call it the Hall of Fame career. We can officially do that coming up this weekend. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. It's... Um... 
goes by in a hurry. I don't know where all the time goes, that's for sure. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a great honor to uh, um, to get put in the Hall of Fame. So, um, kind of looking forward to that. You know, let's talk a little bit about coming in. Obviously, running in Wisconsin, I knew I know a lot of late model racing up in that region. I got to imagine ASA was a big deal for you guys up there too, and and making that transition. So, how did that transition come together? Coming from running the Wisconsin area tracks to to going into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, I think that, you know, at the time, ASA was very popular. And um, that was honestly, when I started racing, that was probably my goal is, is, was to always race full time. And and for, I mean, NASCAR was a long ways away from Wisconsin. So around there to see ASA racing and, and I was like, well, maybe you go race that and, you know, make a, make a living a little bit and um, be able to race in real competitive races. So that was kind of kind of my goal. Um, you know, when I started racing with somebody be able to do that without having a, a real job, uh, never really raced a lot of ASA stuff. It just didn't really work out. Never really ran a full season, ran some races here and there. Um, but that was always, um, always a great competitive series. All right, let's talk a little bit about the relationship with you and Robbie Riser. I know you guys were competitors on the track up in Wisconsin, but you guys made a, a great team when you made that transition down south into NASCAR. What about the relationship with Robbie? Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously going to drive for Robbie was, um, you know, my first big break, if you can, you know, categorize the breaks into, into uh, different categories. So, so yeah, going to race for Robbie and, and uh, John and his family um, wasn't really something that was expected. We weren't really friends when we raced together. We were more kind of rivals. And uh, he, he moved down here with his dad and kind of chased his dream and raced in the Bush Grand National Series. And I was, I was trying to get down here, never really could. And then when, when Robbie got hurt and got out of the seat and moved to the, the crew chief role, um, you know, partway through that next season, the seat opened up, things weren't going very good. They were wrecking a lot of cars. They were kind of struggling. And I seen Robbie a couple times that year. We ran into him at Vegas when I was running a late model race and he was running a Bush race. Um, you know, he's a crew chief. They were racing, racing Bush race out there and then stopped at a shop, shop one time, um, you know, go see those guys. So be able to drive, drive his cars for sure was the break that got me into NASCAR racing. And obviously that, that relationship changed the transition into going to drive for Roush too. And it, uh, you know, you drove, you've driven for some great people. You talk about with Robbie and, and the family there, but also for Jack Roush and, and Joe Gibbs racing. What did you learn specifically maybe from each one of those owners and crew chiefs that helped you get to the hall of fame to where you are today? Oh man. I mean, there's just, there's so many people. That's the, I'd say that's the toughest part about this last week or two, trying to sit down and gather some of my thoughts and, you know, write a speech. I mean, how do you get all that in the, into a few minutes, you know, 30 some years of racing. So there's just so many people, you know, that have really helped me and, um, you know, whether it's, you know, sponsors or crew members or, um, you know, teammates or people I raced against or people I worked for or whatever it was. I mean, there's just so many people along the way that it's very difficult to just pick out, you know, a, a, a few, a few people. I mean, so many people, you know, taught you different, you know, different lessons, but, um, you know, I, I'd say Robbie, you know, probably more, um, you know, perseverance and hard work, never giving up. I mean, we were on the ropes. I shouldn't say we, I didn't have any, any, you know, vested interest financially, but it was my only shot really at NASCAR, but you know, him and his dad running and his family on the ropes pretty hard, you know, trying to find a sponsor and started the year in 98 going to Daytona really with no sponsor on the car. We thought, um, um, we had one and didn't and, uh, went and raced Daytona on a one race sponsor, got it well, we were down there and then went to Rockingham and won the race the next week, our first race together. And, um, 
and we're able to sign a sponsor and get us through that season. Won some races that year, finished I think second or third in points, and um, sort of our breakout year, you know, together. So, um, so I'd say you know hard work. Um, you know, Robbie's always uh, always was the first one at the shop and the last one to leave. You know, he unlocked the doors and he locked the doors. You weren't going to beat him in the shop no matter how early you got there. Um, I remember when I wanted to start working out with them and working out together and um, just trying to get in better shape for racing and doing all that stuff. And it's like, well, let's go before work. <laughs> I can't remember what it was, but something ridiculous. Like, okay, well, pick me up at 445. You know, <laughs> give us an hour to get back here and uh, get get ready for work so I can beat everybody here or whatever. So, um, yeah, I'd say I'd say that for him. You know, Jack, you know, Jack's interesting because he's, uh, you know, it's interesting because like Jack and, and Coach Gibbs, for instance, are 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 pretty much opposites you know and uh they were they were both very successful and that's kind of neat thing too about jason and robbie they were they were kind of opposites and, and i was able to have a pretty good amount of success with both of them so um you know jack engineer racer um doesn't really care about all the the rest of the stuff you know he's he's never you know i mean shoot i think it took him 25 years of owning cars until he'd buy a motorhome you know he's gonna go stay at the holiday express or something instead so uh, just all about you know racing and racing cars and competition and trying to beat everybody and trying to be smarter than everybody and doing all that kind of stuff and didn't really care about the rest of the stuff it was just kind of a necessary evil that came with came with it you know to try to try to make it happen whether it was you know dealing with sponsors or some of the stuff with people or or, or what have you so uh, that's the thing about jack just pure racer you know just, just, just a pure racer. Where you know, coach got into racing because he's very competitive. Obviously, uh, he's a great, he's a great coach, he's a great motivator, leader. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So he's, he's also works um, incredibly hard. First one, typically there, last one, kind of leave type of guy to always travel and talking to sponsors. He's just uh, um, so great on, on um, you know, sales and um, networking with people and making everybody feel important, treating everybody like family, like all that kind of stuff is what makes him so successful you know is by getting all the right people underneath them because he has a way of making people want to work for him and 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 getting the best out of all those people you know and you look at all the accolades you've had all the big race wins the the championships and everything you know daytona 500 a couple of times and i know you've been asked this before but i know the folks would love to know about this what's one of those races that is the most special to you one of those trophies that you have on that on that trophy case and that in your man cave garage that you got that is the most special to you. Oh, here I thought you were going to ask which one is the most, um, you know, which one is do I have the most angst over over letting get away? <laughs> they still have nightmares about. Um, now we talk about the ones you've got. How about that? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's hard to say. You know, I never, you know, there wasn't a race that 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 we won that I didn't enjoy winning. So, yeah. uh, but you know, I, I mean, the first time you do anything, you know, I mean, at the very most. Um, you know, meaningful, fun, um, impactful race we ever won was that that first race at Rockingham together with the risers. You know, we won that that Bush race in 1998. It was the second race of the year. Um, we weren't expected to win. We didn't really have a sponsor in the car. We're, we're somewhat, you know, becoming affiliated with Roush at that time, but we were still, you know, running Chevys. It was still the riser family stuff. Uh, uh, we're still, like I said, struggling to get a sponsor. Um, ran okay at the end of 97. We started running better, but uh, we never thought we were going to go be, be, win the race. You know, we had to beat, you know, Mark Martin and Jeff Burton and Dale Jarrett. And uh, we passed Tony Stewart in the last corner of the last lap driving Joe Gibbs Racing yep. Equipment. Um, it was just uh, it was just an unbelievable day. You know, I didn't do everything right and don't really know what I'm doing. I got into him one time with four or five laps to go underneath them and thought we lost it. And um, 
you know, honestly, coming to the white, it didn't look like we had a chance either. It was a slower car. Tony kind of uses a pick, and I had to get back behind him and uh, um, just got that uh, that magic run at Rockingham. And I'm sure you've seen races at Rockingham a lot. When you grab that line down in three and four, it was like two-tenths of a second. You know, if you grab it with the left sides, you know, you go in kind of slow. And as soon as it grabbed it, you could, mm-hmm. you know, back then, when the cars were a little slower, so if you could just pin the gas, you know. And if you missed it, the whole car would just kind of come out of the track. And... I don't want to say Tony missed it, but he didn't grab it. And he was probably a foot high, foot and a half high. And for some reason, my left side's grabbed it perfect. And I was able to just stand in the gas and get right up to him. And um, I still don't think we touched him. I mean, if you did, you could have, you know, flicked it with a finger. Um, but it moved him offline just enough where we got our, you know, we had to get out of gas a little bit and we didn't and, and uh, pass him the finish. So that was, um, that was probably one of the coolest races ever that I, that I drove, that we won. Um, and besides just being fun, it was obviously very impactful. We got a sponsor for the rest of the year, and it kind of kept uh, kept all of our careers uh, careers going. Thank you, Jason. Coming up, we'll take you through all the twists and turns of the 1988 Daytona 500. And later, we do a deep dive into the Hall of Fame career of Matt Kenseth. Well, listeners, in case you didn't get enough sports today, here's an ad break that'll tell you how to watch even more sports. YouTube is the new home of NFL Sunday Ticket. And if you sign up now, you'll get our lowest full season price of the year. Just go to youtube.com slash Spotify offer to get $100 off NFL Sunday Ticket. Watch your favorite team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games exclusively on YouTube and YouTube TV. All right, enough about sports. Go get more sports. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends June 6. No refunds. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. We're only 33 days from the 65th running of the Great American Race, the Daytona 500. Let's pause here and take time to flash back to the 1988 renewal of the Great American Race. Anticipation was high as the start of the 1988 NASCAR Cup Series neared. The year would mark the 40th for the series, and the sport had momentum coming off a banner year in 1987. Dale Earnhardt had just captured his third championship, and young stars Davey Allison and Dale Jarrett had enjoyed successful rookie seasons and seemed poised to take the next step. As is customary still today, the stars of the sport headed to the shores of Daytona Beach, Florida to start the season with the 30th running of the Daytona 500. While 69 drivers entered for a chance to qualify for the event, many of the headlines were centered around Earnhardt. Despite having already won three championships, the Intimidator was still looking to capture his first checkered flag in the sport's biggest race. Speed Week started in promising fashion for the series reigning champion, with the three-car winning the Bush Clash and finishing second in a 125-mile qualifying race to Darrell Waltrip. Despite the fact Earnhardt was getting a lot of attention, it was Ken Schrader who won the pole for the Daytona 500, driving for Hendrick Motorsports. The Daytona 500 is about 1,200 yards from getting underway here this afternoon as they work their way down to the start-finish line. This crowd, we'll get an estimate for you a little bit later this afternoon, is by far the biggest one we have ever seen at Daytona. And it's about to get underway as Mr. Beats drops the green flag and the Daytona 500 is under green as they head for turn number one. While Schrader led the field to green, he was overtaken on the opening lap by Bobby Allison. Schrader to the bottom of the racetrack. Now is now it's Bobby Allison up alongside of Davey. Bobby Allison will take the lead. Davey Allison second, Walter third. It's the Hueytown hustle right at the front involving father and son. Davey Allison with a half 
car length edge, but here comes his father, Bobby, back to the low side of the track. Bobby Allison leads lap number one of the Daytona 500. Allison's Buick swapped the lead multiple times with Waltrip and Rusty Wallace in the opening stages of the event. As that battle continued, four-time Daytona 500 winner Cale Yarborough, who started deep in the pack after a difficult week, was eliminated from contention after a crash on lap 46. Trouble in turn, turn number four. Cale Yarborough loops the car around. Smoke as he runs up against the retaining wall. The rest of the cars dive to the inside. Cale heads for pit road. Yarborough really smacked that wall as the car looked like it just turned around. Coming out of turn number four, here he is on pit road with smoke boiling from the right side. Sheet metal is caved in on the front of the car, and Cale is going to the garage area. After the caution flag for that incident, Allison took control of the race and led for nearly 40 consecutive laps until Waltrip was able to capture the lead once again. Waltrip would be the leader as the event reached the halfway point, but action would soon be halted once again because of an incident in the trioval that caused a hush to fall over the 135,000 fans in attendance. Trouble in turn number four, Richard Petty's car goes airborne, end over end. There's two or three other cars into it. Petty has hit the wall very hard. He gets hit again as the car came to rest at the entrance to Pitt Road. Petty's car is really smashed front and rear as he went into the outside retaining wall. We'll get a number on the other car when the smoke clears of the machine that did slam into Richard Petty. Other cars involved included Alan Kulwicki. He went through the uh, debris and evidently cut a tire down and ended up going towards the wall. Also involved there, uh, Rusty Wallace now going through the debris. Eddie Beerswall's car is one of those that was involved as Richard Petty's car took a savage flight coming off turn number four and just found himself right in the midst of race traffic. As daunting as that crash seemed for Richard Petty, the King was not seriously injured, but his hopes for another Harley J. Earl trophy would have to wait another year. Following that accident, Schrader found his way to the lead, as did drivers such as Neil Bonnet and Phil Parsons. That was until Allison inserted his name back into the mix on lap 138. Bobby Allison gets the lead as they hit turn one. Allison went down to the inside of Neil Bonnet, made a nice smooth pass, and now just behind him, Dale Earnhardt does the same thing, dropping Bonnet back to third. That stint at the front was short-lived for Allison as he was overtaken by Earnhardt just a few laps later. Earnhardt was able to lead two laps, but those would prove to be the only two laps he led on the day. He was overtaken by Waltrip, who then swapped the top spot with Allison four times over the next 20 laps. And then Allison's son Davey joined the party, as well as Phil Parsons. Still working inside of Dale Earnhardt, and here goes Darrell Waltrip, three wide for the lead. Front four rows are double file as they go back into turn one, and Darrell Waltrip breaks out of the pack. Down to the inside, Waltrip, your new leader, coming off turn number two. I'll tell you, you think you've got a lot of mileage left in a race. Bobby Ellison says, I want the front back. Here he goes by Darrell Waltrip on the inside. Bobby Allison is your new leader. Parsons was emerging as a late race threat, but the elder Allison found his way back to the front with less than 20 to go. With the fastest car back out front, it looked like everyone else might be fighting for second place. But then a caution for debris set up a nine-lap shootout to the checkered flag. 
if Bobby Allison was going to win, he would have to hold off Parsons as well as his son Davey in order to claim his 84th career victory. Bobby Allison is the leader. His young son sits right behind him. Davey going for his first Daytona 500 win. Buddy Baker has as much experience as anyone. They drop the green and they'll stack them three and four wide back in the pack as they shuffle for position. Bobby Allison trying to hit the triple here at Daytona this week. A winner Thursday, a winner yesterday, trying for three straight. He's a car and a half ahead of his son, Davey Allison. Third is Phil Parsons. Fourth is Terry Labonte. Here's Bonnet bidding for four. Bonnet makes the move around into the fourth place position. Still, Bobby Allison, your leader. There's Davey Allison to the bottom of the racetrack. Davey Allison tries it on the inside. One last try for Davey Allison, but he has to tuck back in line just behind his dad, who was a twice winner of the Daytona 500. Bobby Allison wins it for the third time in his career. Right behind him was Davey Allison holding on to a tight third place battle was Phil Parsons with Terry Labonte and Neil Bonnet. What a finish as the Alabama gang, Bobby and Davey Allison, take positions one and two. What a storybook finish. You and your young son, Davey, those last few laps. What was going through your mind knowing that Davey was back there? And he's a pretty fair race driver. He learned from one of the best. Well, I'll tell you what, he is a fine young man and a tremendous competitor. Uh, an awful lot of credit needs to go to Davey and the uh, whole Rainier crew for straightening that car out after getting wrecked at the end of practice yesterday. He drove the wheels off of it all day. He's a fine young man. I'm proud to say that he belongs to me and Judy. What a moment it was as Bobby Allison crossed the line just in front of his son to win the Great American Race. At age 50, it made Allison the oldest winner of the race at the time, and it would ultimately prove to be his final win in the Cup Series. And while it was one of the Alabama drivers' greatest triumphs, it was another year of heartbreak in the 500 for both Earnhardt and Waltrip, who finished 10th and 11th, respectively. Coming up, we'll look back at the Hall of Fame career of Matt Kenseth, and later we'll follow Kirk Schauberdine's path to the NASCAR Hall of Fame. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Over 18 full-time seasons, Matt Kenseth has accomplished every major milestone on the NASCAR Cup Series, winning multiple Daytona 500s, the Southern 500, the Coca-Cola 600, a NASCAR All-Star Race, and being crowned NASCAR Cup Series champion. Our Susie Armstrong guides us through the Hall of Fame career of Matt Kenseth. Very few drivers have the privilege of saying they were elected into the NASCAR Hall of Fame in their first year of eligibility. But with the career this inductee put together, it made him a relatively easy pick for the 60-plus members of the voting panel. His bright red Toyota Camry comes off the end of the back straightaway in firm command. Here's Matt Kenseth diving to the bottom of thirds, three and four, looking for victory in Darlington. Scoring his third win of the 2013 season and getting his first ever Southern 500 victory. Matt Kenseth wins tonight at Darlington. Matt Kenseth was born in Cambridge, Wisconsin, close to where his motorsports career would begin. The 50-year-old competed on several short tracks close to Madison, Wisconsin, and eventually worked his way up the ladder by racing late models in multiple touring series. His first NASCAR opportunity came in 1997 in the Bush Grand National Series as he filled in for an injured Tim Bender, accumulating two top fives while running a partial schedule for team owner Robbie Reiser. The next year, Kenseth made 
made a name for himself in the series with one of the most exciting finishes of the 1998 season. For the final time, Tony Stewart now blocking. Kenseth looks down to the outside. Stewart down low. Kenseth is there on the back bumper looking down to the inside. Here he goes in four. Kenseth nips Stewart's back bumper, runs him up the racetrack off four, dives to the inside to the checkered flag. Matt Kenseth is going to win the Goodwrench 200. A remarkable move in turn four on the last lap. He got two Tony Stewart, nipped him with the back bumper and ran Stewart up the banking. And Matt Kenseth and the Robbie Riser team are going to get their first NASCAR Bush Series win. That win at Rockingham got the attention of Jack Roush. After competing in a handful of events for the car owner, Kenseth would get his first full-time Cup Series opportunity in 2000, driving the number 17 Roush Racing Ford. It wasn't long before Kenseth made his mark in the history books. Kenseth did something no rookie had ever accomplished, earning his first Cup Series win in the famed Coca-Cola 600. That feat allowed him to edge out Dale Earnhardt Jr. for Rookie of the Year honors. 2002 was another slate for milestones as Kenseth led the series in wins with five. Even though that year was impressive, Kenseth again followed up that campaign in 2003 with a feat that encapsulated the season. Season. That's beyond cool. I mean, Richard Petty's the first Winston Cup champion. It's amazing to think that they were the last Winston Cup champion. So, you know, it's just a huge honor to, to even to, to talk to the king and somebody that you've idolized growing up as a stock car racer. And uh, just, uh, just so happy to be here. After dominating the point standings, Kenseth was the final driver to hold the title of a Winston Cup Series champion. As his career aged, his accomplishments continued to mount. Top three cars, nose to tail, Kenseth, Biffle, Earnhardt Jr., Earnhardt Jr continues to shove Biffle. Here they come off turn four for the final time. It'll be settled among these three drivers coming back to the line. Kenseth now Jr. Dale Earnhardt Jr. appeals to the outside. Can't make it happen. Matt Kenseth is going to win the Daytona 500. In 2012, during his final season driving for Roush, Kenseth joined an elite group of drivers as he not only won the Great American Race once, but twice. Competing in a new ride for Joe Gibbs Racing the following year, he added another notch to his belt by winning the Southern 500, one of NASCAR's most sought-after crown jewels. When looking at what makes a driver a Hall of Famer, Kenseth checks all the boxes. His career spanned over 22 seasons, with 39 Cup Series wins, slotting him at 22nd in career victories. Out of the Hall of Fame-eligible contingent, Kenseth had the most wins and was the only driver with a Cup championship. Kenseth's accomplishments speak for themselves, but his success helped grow the sport in the early 2000s and continued to be a factor until he stepped away for good when 2020 came to an end. Matt Kenseth's career is an unforgettable one with many memorable moments that make him more than deserving, not only as an inductee, but the headliner of the 2023 Hall of Fame class. Coming up, we'll detail the Hall of Fame careers of Kirk Shelbardine and Herschel McGriff. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Kirk Shelbardine will be among the three recognized on Friday evening as they get inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Kirk is mainly known for the championships that he won with Dale Earnhardt, but there's so much more to his career. Our Susie Armstrong is back again to highlight what Kirk Shelbardine achieved on his way into the NASCAR Hall of Fame. 
Not many reach the pinnacle of their professions as quickly as Kirk Shelmerdine. Born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in March of 1958, Shelmerdine quickly turned his love for racing into a career, starting off as an engineer for James Hilton Motorsports. At the age of 25 in 1983, Shelmerdine guided Ricky Rudd and Richard Childress Racing to their first ever Cup Series win, taking the checkers at Riverside. Ladies and gentlemen, down to the line to win his first Winston Cup victory, taking the checkered flag, Ricky Rudd in the Piedmont Airlines car as he waves to the fans as he crosses the line. That would only be the beginning of Shelmerdine's storied career atop the pit box for RCR. Shelmerdine later joined forces on the number three team with one of NASCAR's all-time greats, Dale Earnhardt. Shelmerdine would help guide Earnhardt to victory 44 times in the NASCAR Cup Series, the first coming in 1984 at Talladega. Earnhardt comes up the in outside. It's Earnhardt and Baker going to the outside of Labonte for the lead in turn three. Labonte cut out of the draft. He's now battling with Buddy Baker side by side. Earnhardt takes this to an advantage. He pulls away by three car lengths. But Labonte down on the bottom of the racetrack bends off the challenge of Buddy Baker. But as they exit turn number four, it is Earnhardt on the point. Earnhardt has a 10 car length advantage as they come to the line. Will he be able to hang up there? He will. He comes into the dog leg. Earnhardt is going to win the Talladega 500. That was only the beginning for the duo as they would win once more in 1984 and reached victory lane three more times during the 1985 season. All of this set up for the breakthrough. Shelberdine helped lead Earnhardt to victory lane five times in 1986, including Atlanta, to clinch the 1986 Cup Series championship. Well, if this were a championship fight, technically he won it on points, but this was definitely a knockout punch for Dale Earnhardt. He threw the heavy blow here today. Had the race won when Walter went out or had the championship won. Now he's going to win the race. The battle and the war. Here comes Earnhardt off turn number four. All the fans on their feet. Checkered flag and the Winston Cup championship to Dale Earnhardt. 1987 was quite possibly the most dominant year for Shemmerdine as a crew chief. The team opened the season by winning six of their first eight starts, beginning at Rockingham. Kirk, congratulations on a super run here today for you both. Well, thanks a lot, Ned. And congratulations on the TRW mechanic of the race that the whole sort of went together. Yeah, it's been a pretty good day, I guess. So We didn't get a whole lot of practice. We just had to take our best shot. And, uh, thankfully, everything worked out like it did. Okay, it didn't seem to matter that it rained that much, though, because you were pretty well ready when you came here. Yeah, we really didn't have to change that much today. We had to adjust him a little bit. Uh, they're about the mid part of the race, but everything worked out fine. Really can't complain. In total, Shelmerdine, Earnhardt, and company would win 11 times in 87 on their way to back-to-back Cup Series titles. Along the way to four Cup Series championships, the other two occurring in 1990 and 91, Shelmerdine and Earnhardt would enjoy milestone victories, including in 1990 when they won their second Southern 500. Well, Kurt Shelmerdine, who chased that chassis all day and you won it. Yeah, we had it pretty close at the end. Uh, we were far from right all day. We, we almost got ourselves in trouble there fooling around with it, but uh, everything worked out okay. And, Dale kept his cool and kept after things and uh, paid off. Over his 16-year crew chief career with Earnhardt, Rudd, James Hilton, and Richard Childress, Shelmerdine won 46 races and posted top 10 finishes in more than half of his starts. In 1992, Shelmerdine stepped away from life on the pit box, but he wasn't entirely ready to call it quits. Shelmerdine transitioned into the cockpit as he made 41 starts across all three NASCAR National Series. The bulk of Shelmerdine's driving success occurred in the Arkham Menard Series, where he won three times, once in Atlanta and twice in Charlotte, with the final victory taking place in 2003. 
Shelmerdine's impact continues to this day as he inspired a generation of crew chiefs, including Todd Gordon, Joey Logano's crew chief during his 2018 championship season. As I look back at Kirk Shelmerdine's career in NASCAR, he led one of the most dominant teams through NASCAR's transition from being a Southeastern sport to a national prominence. Back-to-back championships in the late 80s, in 87 and 88, and then again in 90 and 91 with Dale Earnhardt Sr. Always progressing. That's one of the pieces I look at and, and you know, try to model my career out of is you're good today, but how are you going to be better tomorrow? And that team always seemed to get better and better as they went forward and found ways to be successful. Right down to the pit crew area, I think back to that was my heyday of watching racing in the 80s as I came out of high school, and their pit crews dominated on pit road. They won and they raced at every facet, and that got them championships. A great leader in progressing our sport to where it is today. Atop the pit box and behind the wheel, Kirk Shelmerdine proved at every turn that he's worthy of being called a NASCAR Hall of Famer. Coming up, we'll remember the Hall of Fame career of Herschel McGriff. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. We're about to head for the exits on this week's NASCAR Live. Before we do, we wanted to visit with the elder statesman of the 2023 NASCAR Hall of Fame class. We're speaking of 95-year-old Herschel McGriff. While being the oldest, McGriff isn't the furthest removed from racing. It was only five years ago when he ran his final NASCAR race in the NASCAR Pro Series West at the age of 90. Susie Armstrong is back one final time to detail his Hall of Fame career. NASCAR celebrates its 75th anniversary this year, and the next inductee in the NASCAR Hall of Fame class of 2023 has been a part of the sport for an impressive 46 of those seasons. Checkers ready to fall, and the winner of this 300-kilometer event is the legendary McGriff. He's done it again, his 13th win at Riverside, California. Herschel McGriff was born in Oregon in 1927, and began his racing career in 1945 after the Second World War. NASCAR launched in 1948, and McGriff made his debut in the sport's third season, driving to a ninth-place finish in the 1950 inaugural Southern 500 at Darlington Raceway. McGriff's best year in what was then known as the NASCAR Grand National Series came in 1954. The Oregonian racked up four wins and 13 top five finishes, including one victory at North Wilkesboro Speedway. McGriff finished sixth in the championship points battle, despite entering only 24 of 37 events. While McGriff enjoyed success in the NASCAR Cup Series, he is best known as a top performer and fan favorite in the Western U.S., where McGriff became a mainstay in what is now known as the Arkham Menards West Series. While the young gun made his first start in NASCAR's top series at 22, he seemed to age like a fine wine. His best season and first championship came in 1986 at nearly 60 years of age. As the years rolled on, McGriff showed no signs of slowing down and called up West Coast racing legend and car owner Bill McAnally to field a full-time effort in 2001, following a solitary kickoff run in 2000 at the ripe young age of 72. So we worked together at that very last race at Portland Speedway. I think that was in 2000. And then he brought the NBNA people in and we put the deal together to run full time in 2001. But uh, Herschel, he, he's, he's good on the track. He's a full package because 
He was good on the racetrack, and he was very good off the racetrack with the sponsors and fans. Nearly two decades later, McGriff rang up McAnally again to field a car at Tucson Speedway in 2018 and at 90 years of age, became the oldest driver ever to run a NASCAR-sanctioned event, completing 94 of 100 laps. He said, man, there could only be one thing better at 90 years old, Bill, if I could have one more shot in one of your race cars. And I'm like, are you serious? And he was serious. And uh, we, he did it at 90 years old. He not only raced the race, he did the national anthem on a trombone before the start of the race. Forging a racing career spanning seven decades and boasting of nearly 40 NASCAR victories, Herschel McGriff is a more than deserving member of the NASCAR Hall of Fame class of 2023. What a career for Herschel McGriff. Folks, that's all we have time for you for this week. We'd like to thank Kevin Harvick for joining us, also Matt Kenseth for joining us, and we extend our hearty congratulations to this year's 2023 class of the NASCAR Hall of Fame. For the rest of the MRN crew, I'm Mike Bagley. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We'll chat with you again next week right here on NASCAR Live. Until then, so long, everyone. NASCAR Live is a production of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina, and was brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of NASCAR. It works fast and you won't stink. And by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. Today's broadcast was produced by Trey Downey, Pat Jaggers, and Julian Council. The executive producer for MRN is Ryan Horn. Remember to visit MRN.com for all of the latest news and information. NASCAR Live is produced under an exclusive license with NASCAR. Any use of the accounts and descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network. Ruoff Mortgage wants to welcome you home with their fast and stress-free mortgage process. Ruoff knows that when you're ready to move, you want to keep things moving. From the moment you start, Ruoff makes sure the process moves quickly, often twice as fast as other lenders, so you can close quickly and settle in sooner. Visit Ruoff.com to learn how you can qualify for the fastest loan of your life. That's Ruoff, R-U-O-F-F.com.